Hey Siri, remind me to pick up milk on the way home. Hey Siri, remind me about ballet practice at 5 p.m. Hey Siri, remind me to ask mom if I can borrow her car for Friday. Hey Siri, remind me to call the body shop. Hey Siri, remind me to take out the trash tonight. Siri, hey 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 and um, in case you're new here, we are walking through the book of Ephesians from August all the way to November. So we're pretty much uh, the first uh, two months, we're taking basically half a chapter at a time and breaking it down here on Sunday mornings. And uh, just to remind you, in October, we're gonna be taking the last half of five and the first half of six. We're gonna be talking about the family. So next month is a family series. So I know many of you are highly anticipating that, okay? And, uh, and then in November, we're really gonna talk about spiritual warfare. Y'all know we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And, uh, and even though sometimes whenever we look out, it seems calm, there's still a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we should be aware of and be prepared for. So Ephesians chapter three, uh, you know, each week we've been grabbing one question to kind of talk about that sums up these verses. And, and to be honest with you, it was kind of hard to find one question that would sum up these verses. I believe these verses to be some of the most powerful verses, but also some of the most simple yet complicated verses, all right? If you've read them, you know. It's very simple sounding, but then whenever you really start to begin to kind of say, wait, what is Paul really trying to say? It's like these layers begin to open up. And so in chapters one through three, we've talked about this pretty much every week, that the first three chapters really have to do with the gospel, who we are in Christ. And then four through six really deals with how does that play out? Okay, how do we live out this gospel? And um, I think maybe a better example that we might remember even more would be uh, one through three is sort of like how we were broken down cars, okay, that God made new made us brand new cars. All right, four through six is sort of the roadmap of the journey that we're supposed to go on. Um, but chapter three, the end of chapter three is sort of like how to turn the engine on, okay? So there's a lot of people who they have made a decision to follow Jesus, okay? God has made them a new creation and they know the life that they're supposed to live, but they are living this life powerless and not actually going anywhere with it. They're sitting there, brand new tires, brand new paint job, everything's looking wonderful. And uh, they just can't seem to find the key to actually start the car to get the wheels actually moving forward. And so they're like, man, I see this new life that's ahead of me, but I feel like I can't get there. Paul, then the transition between one through three, the first part of Ephesians and the second part, says these verses right here, and it's really worded in a prayer in a prayer. And, and earlier in Ephesians, he also prayed. And uh, he, he tells us in chapter two that, y'all remember we talked about how we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God here on earth, which is a very, very important thing that we should all picture and live out is that we actually house the presence of God as believers. And, and now in chapter three, he prays that we would understand God's love for us and experience the power of the reality of God living in us. Not just know it, but actually experience the power of it. Do you guys know that we can, we can know something, we can understand something, but we can also not at the same time experience it. Understanding something and experiencing something is two different things. 
All right, it's sort of like watching or looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon or actually going there. I can explain to you what it's like to stand at the ledge of a thousand foot cliff, okay? (laughs) Or you can go stand on the edge of the cliff and see it for yourself and it'll impact you a lot more. What happens a lot of times on Sundays is somebody's explaining to you the Grand Canyon and you're staring at them and kind of like, what's the big deal? Yeah, man, I've heard this a thousand times and there's nothing inside of you that's coming alive. It's because maybe you're lacking experience. You have a lot of understanding, a lot of religion, but there's not a lot of experience to it. And Paul's like, I don't want you guys to take chapter one through three and just let it be this cognitive thing. Okay, I want you to know that this is a heart change thing. This is a transformational thing. This is a thing that is full of power because the gospel is full of power. In the same way we can understand the gospel but not experience the power of it. And I wanna make this statement to you this morning that the gospel is more than simply a presentation of an idea, rather it's the operation of a dynamic power. Today we're gonna talk about the power of God. And a lot of people have taken this phrase, the power of God, and they've misused it. They've actually limited, limited it, okay, limited it to mean maybe one aspect of what power means. And and for some people, power is just a miraculous power. But did you know that the power of God is something that affects every area of our life? The power of God doesn't just move whenever cancer is healed or somebody is raised from the dead, although that is part of what we're talking about. The power of God is is actually a whole lot more broad than that. We're gonna see that here uh, today. So we're gonna ask four questions about the power of God. What we're gonna do, a little bit different than what we've been doing, is we're gonna read verse 14 through 19, and uh, and then we're gonna sort of break out these questions from what we've learned from these scriptures. So let's go ahead and read uh, verse 14. For this reason, for this reason, for chapters one through two, beginning of three, for all of the stuff that we've talked about, for this reason, Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Incredible scriptures, said like only Paul could say it. You know what I'm saying? Just, and did y'all feel them? Just, it just started stacking, just layer upon layer. And, and that's the difficult thing with scriptures like this is because between the commas, there's an entire sermon, <laughs> okay? But between like, he, he says one thing and then he goes on. I mean, chapter three, for this reason, and then we talked all last week about kind of between the commas, and then he picks back up, for this reason. He's sort of like, by the way, what I was saying was, because he has so much inside of him that he's trying to get out. So he, he talks about this thing that the power, the strength, it's something that we need. Obviously, he's praying that we would have it, but what is it? What is the power of God? We sing about it. We talk about it. Have you ever heard anybody tell you, maybe you were going through a tough time, and they said, you know what you need? You need the power of God. And you're like, okay. <laughs> power, power. You know, is it like some sort of Pokemon thing? I don't know. Like, like 
you know, whenever we took uh, Ariana, we have a seven-year-old when she was five, I think she was five, we took her to Disney World. And uh, she watches Disney, so if that offends you, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, lots of Disney stuff. And, and so, uh, but it was pretty intriguing because we go to Disney World and we have already, we're, we're those parents. We're straight up about the fact that like um, certain characters that we celebrate every year around Christmas time maybe aren't real. All right, I don't want to ruin it for some of you that might be in here, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're pretty straight up about that because I, I, I kind of tend to think like, man, at what point is Jesus going to sound like, old claws, and that, that might be a little bit strange for her. And uh, actually, I experienced that whenever we went to Disney World, because, um, you know, we pray and we talk about the power of God and, and maybe say those things, and then, like, she's looking at Elsa, and Elsa's got powers too, you know, and Elsa's throwing things up in the air, and it's like a magical place, and, and so on the way back, uh, we were kind of talking about it. We're like, hey, baby, you know, that's pretend power, pretend magic. That, that's not, you know, and she's like, oh, it's pretend. I'm like, well, it's it's not completely pretend magic is actually real and it's really bad. So <sighs> delete all the Disney movies, get them out of here, right? Yeah, start explaining stuff to your kid and all of a sudden you realize, <clears throat> man, we take things for granted sometimes. But anyway, the power of God is not a Disney movie, right? It's not uh, some sort of uh, mystical energy, all right, it's not some sort of thing, some sort of seance that you say in order to like get it and, you know, people kind of mess this up and they get it weird. And although those things are real, all right, uh, if anybody ever tells you, oh, all that demonic stuff ain't real. No, no, there's powers. There's powers. There's principalities and powers in the earth. Uh, so, 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 so there's a power that, that he's talking about here in verse 16. He prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This word power is actually the word dunamis, and it means strength. It means might. It means energy. Like, like we need to be filled with the energy of God, the power of God, the strength of God. We need this. So, so what is the power? It's, it's strength. It's strength to live out this life, and we'll, we'll kind of get into how it plays out, but we've got to realize that what is the power? It's strength to do what God has told us that we, we need to do and be who we need to be. Number two is where does this power come from? Where does God's power come from? Well, <clears throat> it comes from God. <laughs> oh, okay. God's power comes from, there's a word omnipotent that's used to describe God. He's all powerful. Like the essence of who God is, is power. Okay. So, so like, we're establishing this, all right? I hope I'm not losing you. I know I'm not losing you. I'm being facetious because it's obviously straightforward. God's power is from God, and it is part of who he is. His power is actually something we receive by God's spirit that strengthens a believer's spirit. Now, we start talking about spirits. That's where some people get weird, too. We're talking about spirits. You have a spirit, all right? You have a soul. You have a body, and, and Paul here is saying that we need our spirit to be filled with God's spirit, not our own essence of who we are, because that's not good enough, all right? That's not what we want. We want to be replaced with the spirit of God. And this right here already is coming against any sort of humanistic mindset you have, any sort of, of thing that you tout that you, in your own sense, have power or ability. Paul here says, I pray that you would be strengthened with his power because yours is messed up. 
Yours is actually dead, empty. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Another definition of dunamis, I like the way that they word this, is power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Power residing, living in a thing, a person, something, by virtue of its nature. Y'all know whenever we receive Jesus that our nature is changed. It needs to be changed. If it's not changed, we have not been transformed. We have to be changed, completely new. That old car or a brand new car, a completely different car, okay? By virtue of its nature. So if we have God's nature, we have God's power because God's power is part of his nature. Now, what does God's power look like? God's power is expressed in God's love. Wait, what? I thought we've gotten, like, I thought we were like moving past the love of God. No, we're not. See, that's a problem that people begin to define God's power by something else other than being motivated by his love, who he is. He's all powerful. He's all loving. And his love is in the best way expressed through the gospel. That's where, that's where his love is, is it's just obvious to us, okay? And, and in summary, I'll put it like this. God's power is his love and is perfectly displayed to us through the gospel. Through the gospel. Romans 1, 1.16, very first week of, of February, we talked about this, that the power of God is the gospel, is the power of God is, is his love expressed through Jesus dying on the cross for us and being raised to new life for us that's where his power is. It's the power unto salvation. It's not only the power unto salvation, but it's also the power to live after salvation, okay? Like, and it all is rooted in the love of God. First John 4, 9 says, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. All roads lead back or stem from the gospel, God's power is expressed in this way. Paul says we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power to even grasp Christ's love for us. Now, verse uh, 18 and 19, it basically he says, you need strength to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What I, th- I kind of think is funny here is Paul is basically saying, we, we talk about the love of God a lot. And he's saying, he's saying, hey guys, for you to really even know the love of God, you need the power of God, but the power of God is gonna reveal the love of God and it's gonna reveal it in such a way that you're gonna realize that you can't even comprehend it. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's like us thinking about eternity. Think about eternity real quick, just like always been, always will be, and our brain just went. Paul wants us to understand the love of God to that degree that we would see how vast it is. Whenever we get bored with the love of God, it is a result of us not understanding it in the first place, not truly understanding it, not understanding the unconditional nature of it, not understanding the power of it, not not seeing how it is created life and then he created life and then he submitted himself to the very life he created, died for it to redeem us. Like that type of love right there, none of us can operate purely in that sense. 
In that sense, the love of Christ is, is expressed in a great way that if we just begin to think about that, it will begin to change us because we realize that we didn't deserve it. We've talked about all of these things in pieces throughout the last few weeks. The love of God. We need to grasp and, and understand the love of God, but it can't be simply understood. It must be experienced. Because we could talk about it. I could try to wrap words around it. But if there's not an experience of it, you're missing it. It's why people struggle to stay married because they don't understand true love. They don't get it. If we loved each other like God has loved us, there would be such peace, such unity, such forgiveness, such forbearance, but we allow ourselves to get in the way of that and cloud out true love and it destroys relationships. It's done that since the beginning. And Paul's like, you guys, we've got to remember and, and, and experience the love of God for us. God's love can't be simply understood but experienced and also God's love matures us. God's love perfects us. How would you live if you were convinced God loved you intellectually, experientially? Like, how would you live if you truly, and, and now some of us, I think we've had moments and, and maybe seasons where we, we walked in um, and walked like we understood God loved us, but then we sort of faded away from that or whatever, and we, it became about us again. But you remember those moments where you had such confidence in who God is and who he looked at you as, and you remember those moments where you could love people unconditionally. Somebody could take a shot at you, and it didn't matter, right? How would, how would we live if we always understood like that, if we lived like that? Well, I could tell you there would be much less worry. There'd be much less shame, anxiety, and depression. There'd be much less of that. There'd be a lot more confidence in God and in his love for you. And as a byproduct, we would have more love for each other if we could simply continue to understand and experience the love of God. This is the result of being rooted in God's love. Remember he said rooted and grounded in, in God's love. Where our life is lived out of where we are grounded in. And it's, it's a life of maturity, spiritual maturity. Guys, look. There's, if we're not understanding the gospel correctly, if we're not understanding the love of God correctly, we, we tend to fall into two categories. We tend to either fall into a legalistic mindset or we fall into a antinomian type of mindset, which is basically no law. One abuses the love and the grace of God and one abuses the love and grace of God in the other way, which is holding it over people's heads or holding it over their own heads. The judgment of God all the time. Why? Because we don't understand the perfect love of God that actually shoots the gap between both. We don't understand it and we, and we get off. So what does it look like to be spiritually mature? It doesn't look like reading your Bible for two and a half hours every day. It doesn't look like prophesying. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is understanding and living out of the love of God that you've experienced. 
The Bible actually says when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that you could prophesy and do all these incredible things. You could raise people from the dead. But if you don't do it in love, it's worth nothing, and you're just annoying people. You're a loud, gonging, just symbol. Nobody cares. You know, you can even lead a small group and not do it in love and not produce fruit, not build the body of Christ. You could give money away. You could do a lot of great things, but if you don't do it out of a, motivated out of a heart of love, out of, out of God's love in you, then it's worth nothing. And it's hard for us to understand because we, we tend to fall into these, these, uh, this thinking of works-based, which is like, well, no, I'm doing good things. Yeah, but why are you doing it? We're just talking about the love of God right now. And it begins to permeate into every area of, of your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes. Guys, let's never think that we've graduated past our need of studying and understanding the love of God. We actually need more understanding of it. I need more understanding of it. So why do we need God's power? Well, we already said that we need, need God's power to, to understand his love, okay? But, but summed up, we need the power of God to do the will of God. Okay, we need, we need the power. God, I wanna be in your will. God, I wanna do the right things. And it's like, he's like, hey, you need to be filled with more of my spirit. Yeah, but I wanna do the right thing. He's like, yeah, you need to know my love more. Yeah, but, 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 but God, I wanna do great and mighty things. He's like, just go ahead and, and focus in and lean into the gospel, right? Out of that comes other things. But what things do we need? What, what does that mean, the will of God? Well, okay. We, need, we want to glorify God. We need the power of God to glorify God. We need the power of God to be a witness for the kingdom of God. We need the power of God to overcome sin. As a believer, when we talk about sin, we talk about sin nature, we, we, we find ourselves uh, surrendered to the cross, surrendered to what God has done through Jesus, and we are, we are justified. And then we enter into this process of sanctification where we are being made more like God from, from glory to glory and, and you know, being made more like Jesus and, and how we live. We need the power of God to walk out that lifestyle, to kill sin in our life. That's the way that the word of God puts it, it's to, to kill sin. To, to move forward and mature and to kill sin in our life. And I think a lot of people, they struggle with killing sin because they haven't turned the engine onto the car and they're sitting there and it's like the same thing for 30 years. Why? We need the power of God to overcome sin. It's, it's, a, it's a miraculous power, but it's also a moral power, but you can't overcome sin in your own power, your own ability, your own strength. If it's not by the power of God, you'll never be victorious. Sure, you might have a good week or two, but eventually it just, it just makes its way back to the throne of your heart. You can't resist temptation by trying to be a better person. <laughs> I know my dad's story is every day before he got saved, he'd sit on the edge of his bed and say, today I'm gonna be a better person. I'm gonna be better. And then he would walk into the kitchen and the whole day was ruined. You know, something would happen. <laughs> Why? Because we don't have the kind of power it takes to overcome our own nature. We got to have a new nature. Our spirit has to be filled with God's spirit continually. By the way, this is not a one-time thing. It's not like I got filled with the spirit of God and now I'm done. Are you kidding me? No, you're thinking about heaven, man. <laughs> no, we are in a fight. We're in a battle. And we need the power of God to even overcome sin. And you here, by the way, it doesn't refer to just you individually. It refers to us, you, the entire church. 
Like we need these things. It's not just for me. It's not just for the guy in the front row. It's for all of us, every single believer. Because verse 19, he says, he wants us to be filled. He prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, the presence of God, the awareness of God, that we would be full of this. Basically he's saying, we need the power of God to even experience the fullness of God. We need the spirit of God to experience the fullness of God. And Paul wants us to experience the fullness. Guys, do y'all, do y'all hunger for more of God? Do you guys, like, whenever you're by yourself, do you pray, like, God, would you fill me with more of you? God, would you displace the things in me that are not of you? Do you pray like that? I hope that you do. Because we need the power of God to experience the fullness of God. Number four, fourth question, how do I access it? Because whenever it comes down to it, we're very practical people, right? Okay, that sounds great. How do I get it? How do I, I wanna put my hands on it. I'm a, I'm a learner, like I'm a hand on, hands-on learner. I need to, how do I access the presence of God? Well, how do you access? It's really gonna kind of be the rest of the message today because this is, where, this is where we come in. See, all of this is God wants to give us his power. He, he, he wants to, be a part of our lives. We've talked about the tabernacle and the temple and the fact that we are the temple of God and how God since the beginning has been wanting to live among and and be with his people. But at the end of the day, guys, y'all know who keeps getting in the way of that happening? Us. We keep getting in the way. You ever hear people say that? I just gotta get out of the way of God. I just gotta get out of the way. And if you have a good understanding of what that means, then that's a good thing to say. But some people, they're, when they say that, like, I just gotta get out of the way of God, what that really means is like, they just don't feel like doing or trying anything. <laughs> it's like, I'm just gonna get out of the way, and by getting out of the way, it's called apathy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about apathetic getting out of the way. I'm talking about us, our carnality, that side of that flesh fleshly desires and sinful part of us getting out of the way. And what does that look like? How do we access it first? We have to ask, like Paul does in verse 14, 15, ask with humility out of a state of brokenness. This is where it's going to get good. I love to talk about humility and brokenness because it helps me remember how much I need to be humble and broken. So I like to talk about it. Paul prays from this posture. It's a big deal for a man like him to say, I kneel before the Father. Physically, a posture of humility. And I believe that humility is a result of brokenness. Humility is a result of brokenness. Brokenness is when we realize how hopeless we are in our condition of sin. Salvation actually can't take place truly in the person's heart until they have a moment where they realize that they have no hope without Jesus. Broken. Now, when I say broken, I mean kind of like two things. First off, I mean like a a broken stick or something that is, is dysfunctional. But whenever, like that's the initial, yes, that's 
the thing is broken, but also when I talk about us living in a state of brokenness, it's us living out of and with a, 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 a comprehension and, and, a, and an understanding that we are perpetually living out of that state of brokenness. And we are broken, born broken in sin. We are born dysfunctional because of sin, our sin nature. And then think about your own life. Those of you who have, have made a decision to follow Jesus, right? You responded to, to God. Think about that moment that you realized that you had no hope. Maybe for you, it was one of those things of what happens after I'm, I die? Like what, what's like afterlife? And, and, and there was this moment of clarity and you're like, I have nothing, why am I alive? And you had that empty broken, like that empty moment of hopelessness. And then you begin to search for something more, right? Like what did it look like for you? But that moment where you realized that you were broken and you had no ability in and of yourself to overcome that brokenness, and then you begin to learn, no telling where, maybe it was your parents taught you, maybe you just stumbled into church one day, but you begin to hear about this Jesus who came and died to fix sin. And you're like, wait, what is sin? And then you hear the story of how sin entered the world. And then you hear that we've inherited that. Every person, you realize the hopelessness that I'm feeling is a result of sin. And you realize I am messed up. I am broken and I need somebody to fix me. But the problem is, again, I can't fix myself. And the only way to really truly respond is out of this state of brokenness. I heard this story about a kid that was in school and uh, the teacher, everybody's standing up and he said, all right, everybody sit down. And some of the kids start sitting down. All right, everybody sit down, sit down, sit down. And this one kid's just standing there. And she's like, everybody sit down. She looks at him and he's just like, She's like, if you don't sit down, you're going to go to the principal's office. And he's just, and he sits down. He says, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> right? Perfect picture of not being broken. There it is. Right? Like, like God, I'll, I'll, I'll break here. I'll break there, but I'm not going to break here. No, this is mine. A person can't be fixed until they realize that they're broken. And a person that stands up on the inside, sitting down on the outside, they might be the only one that knows, <laughs> but God knows. It's not a brokenness. And many of you have experienced this in your own life, and you've also seen other people in your life where all of a sudden, something just, it just clicked, and they just released that pride. They released that self-sufficiency. It's a beautiful thing. And we must be broken. God, God is shaping us, but we must remain broken for him to continue to shape us. The more broken we are before God, the more that we realize our brokenness and live out of that brokenness, the more useful we are for God. There's a book by a man named Watchman Nee, and he talks about the release of the Spirit. And in it, that's really his main concept is that we have the Spirit of God in us as believers, but we, through our breaking, we release that Spirit. And it's not, again, some weird Disney movie, but it's just we live out of that. We live with true love and joy and peace and patience. The fruit of the Spirit is able to, to, to break out of us because our outer man, our, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our sin, all of these things break and God can, can live through us. So the first thing is we ask with humility out of a broken state. 
Second is that we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. We allow Christ to dwell in our heart by faith. Now, dwell here means to settle, to reside, like to make yourself at home. How many of y'all got the friends that when they come over, they dwell a little bit too much? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like king of queens, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nobody's like, ah. Oh. Not many people laughed at that, so you guys seen it. Anyway, it's like, it's time to leave, right? They're dwelling too much. It's time to go, right? Well, that's what it means, though, is to make yourself at home. And he says, we got to let Jesus make himself at home in our hearts. We got to let Jesus move the furniture around in our house, y'all. Not physically, but in our heart. And this is where a lot of people don't let Jesus dwell. They're like, hey, Jesus, welcome to my heart. Here is a lovely chair that I have for you to sit in. And this is your little space. Thanks for being here. I'll talk to you later. And they go back and they live life. And Jesus is like, uh, yep, yep. Um, yeah, so the way this is supposed to work is like, it's supposed to work is like basically this is my home now. And actually, that's your chair. <laughs> right? It's like, like so. And many, many people have a problem with that. When, when, when Jesus starts moving around your standards, he starts messing with your furniture. He starts messing with the sin in your life. And he starts saying, hey, that's not okay. I love you so much, but that's not okay. It's like, yeah, God, but... You see, that's kind of like my favorite part of the couch. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, yeah, that, <clears throat> it's not how this works. He wants to move the furniture around. He wants to make himself at home in your heart. And you know what you have to do? You have to trust the process. You have to trust him. You have to live in faith that God's ways are higher than yours, better than yours, and leads to more the abundant life. You know, people talk about that, the abundant life. I want to have the abundant life. What does the abundant life look like? Well, it, it, abundance doesn't mean like materialistic possessions. It doesn't mean always like your own way. Most of the time, the abundant life is actually found in, well, nothing to do with your way. You ever pray those prayers? God, I'll do anything but that. And then like three years later, you're like, I'm doing that. Like, Lord. He's like, yeah, that was that, that was that soft spot on the couch that you like to sit in, and I didn't like that, so I changed the whole couch, you know? <laughs> a person that's broken and humble, though, look, this is a wonderful process that you embrace. You begin to recognize the voice of God. You begin to look at yourself as a child in that home and, and, and God being the father rather than you being the father and him being just a, an added addition. No, 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 he takes over. He takes over. His priorities, your money. Yeah, everybody's cool with talking about standards and stuff that you can't really put your finger on. God wants to change the way that you spend your money. He wants to mess with it. Your prioritization. How about the way that you raise your kids, the way that you plan your future? All of these things. 
Jesus wants to make himself at home. Now, now we do all of this by faith, by faith, and faith is the environment that Jesus lives and operates in. Faith, we do this out of trust and out of faith and belief in him that his ways are better than ours. But what furniture are you not letting Jesus move around? What roommates, <laughs> what roommates are you trying to make Jesus live with and tolerate? Like they smell bad. Like they don't, they don't, you know, clean their dishes. And Jesus is like, yeah, they need to leave. And you're like, no, but I've known them for like 20 years. He's like, yeah, I know. They're bad for you. This bad company. Maybe it's people in your life. He's like, it's time to change some things up. Maybe it's just straight up sin. Guys, look, um, nowadays people are, are, are just really watering down a lot of things when it comes to what sin is and what sin is. And, and, and a lot of us, a lot of uh, churches and, and pastors and, and leaders, I mean, out of love, it's like, hey, let me give you hope. Let me give you positivity. And, or, and, and, and by seeing that, like, you'll just stop doing all the bad things. I'm not, I'm not talking about somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people that, that follow, follow Jesus. And, and, and they're like, hey, let's just, shoot for, let's just shoot for this, and all of this will just disappear. And that does happen a lot. But at the same time, guys, there's works of the flesh that we have got to identify in our lives and in our hearts and not make excuses for them. People sleeping around, people just disrespecting other people, lying, just lying, just lying. Love you, Jesus, and lie. God hates liars, right? He hates that. But, but like, at some point, like, there's got to be repentance, right? Like, where Jesus takes residence in our heart and he begins to displace those, those desires and those actions to where there's change, that's, that's the result of the power of God in us, transforming us. Or are we, does that mean perfection in this life? Of course not. That's the extreme. But change? Yes. More fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Yes, absolutely. More holiness? Yes. Absolutely. The more I allow Jesus to make his home in me, the more I experience his love. The more I experience his love, the more I experience his power. I want to experience the power of God think, pray, meditate on the love of God. The things that Jesus messes with in your conscience and in your heart and he convicts you of, respond. Remain pliable and see what happens. This is really our prayer today. God, would you strengthen us with your power so that Jesus will be at home in our hearts, so that we will know and experience your love, so that your presence will fill us to do your will individually and as a community. Come on, y'all. Y'all want to experience the presence of God in your life? You want to experience the power of God in your life? This is our prayer. And Paul is praying this for us, and I'm praying this for myself and for you, and I hope that you're praying it for yourself. God, would you reveal yourself to us? Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we, we ask today in this place, God, that you would reveal your love to us. God, that you would fill us with your power and your spirit. God, right now, the things that are inside of us that displease you, God, the furniture, the roommates, whatever it is, God, that we've allowed to take residence in our heart, 
that you're displeased with. Father, we lay those things before you. And God, we, we ask right now that you would replace them, displace them. We invite you in. Some of you right now, you're, you're far from God. You know that you've never even let Jesus in to even take a tour of your life or your heart. You've always stiff-armed him at the door. And today you realize and you have a, a greater understanding of the love of God. It's not a forced love. It's not something that's, that's forced upon you. It's something that you freely receive. And what it is, is you're freely receiving the love of God expressed through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right now, if you're in this place, whether you've never received him before, you've never said yes to Jesus, or you have a hundred times, before we get to communion, before we receive communion, I wanna give an opportunity for each and every person to get right with God because communion is for believers. And it's so important that all of us realize that. So if that's you and you know that you're far from God right now, just say, God, I repent. God, would you change my nature? I repent of my sin, my actions, my thoughts, my attitudes. And God, I'm asking right now that you would make me righteous in your sight through Jesus. Help me to live a life that glorifies you and honors you, Jesus. I thank you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name. Well, come on, we're gonna move into our communion part of the service. If you wanna go ahead and take out your cup and go ahead and open up the top. Is there a way that somebody could give me a communion? I forgot to get my own. And... Um, Go ahead and, and, and pull back the paper and take out the, the wafer and then go ahead and actually open up the juice. explain to you what these two things represent. The wafer represents the body of Jesus that was crucified, that was beaten, that suffered and experienced pain for our healing, for our restoration. He broke the back of disease and sickness through what he did for us. And this, this juice represents the blood of Jesus. His blood, sinless, pure blood that was shed for the remission of our sin. Jesus did it all. And all we do is remember it and receive it and live by it. It's a wonderful thing. It's salvation. Jesus is the, the one that, that instituted this. He said, do this to remember me. To remember the brokenness that we talked about. We live out of brokenness. Jesus was broken for us. We live the resurrected life because Jesus was resurrected. We remember all these things as we eat and drink. And so I wanna pray and then we're gonna receive this together. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to take our pain and our shame, to be lifted up on the cross 
for us, to restore us, to mend us, and to heal us. We remember it and we eat this together. God, we thank you for Jesus, for shedding his blood for us. We thank you that today that we can live in freedom and confidence and in your grace, the fullness of your presence because of his blood that was spilt for us. We remember this together and we drink. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. Paul ends this chapter, and we really kind of turn the corner of this series, and he ends this chapter by, by ending it in praise. In response to all of the things that he says, he ends with praise, and I think it's fitting for us to do the same, and I want to read these two scriptures, and then we're going to worship Jesus. Verse 20, he says, now to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Come on, are y'all grateful for the love of God? So just like, just like Paul worship, we're gonna worship right now. So come on, let's sing together. you